You are listening to the Innovators Behind Disruption, a podcast series brought to you by Evolve ETFs. The world is evolving. Your investments should too. Hi there, this is Raj Lala, and I'm joined by Dr. Jonathan Kelly. Jonathan is actually a Dean's Catalyst Professor at the University of Toronto Institute for Aerospace Studies. He's a director of the Space and Terrestrial Autonomous Robotic Systems Laboratory, and before joining U of T, he was a postdoctoral researcher at MIT. He received his PhD degree from the University of Southern California, where his dissertation work focused on sensor fusion uh, for robust robot navigation. And prior to graduate school, he was a software engineer at the Canadian Space Agency uh, in Montreal. Quite an impressive bio. Dr. Jonathan Kelly, thank you very much for joining us. My pleasure to be here. It's great. Thanks for having me. So let's start at the very top. Um, the words automation and robotics tend to sometimes be used interchangeably. Can you talk about what the origin and definition of the term robotics automation is? Yes, I think the specific term robotics automation is its a hybrid, of course, of the two, robotics and automation. Uh, automation is typically considered to be the mechanization of processes that are usually associated with things like manufacturing. So when we think about automation technologies, we typically think about manufacturing scenarios um, or, um, or related application areas. Um, and then robotics is a, is a broader term, um, which encompasses not just uh, automation for manufacturing, but also uh, everything from space exploration to service robots that one day might help you pack your dishwasher. Um, so uh, I would say robotics is a broader term, and then robotics automation is, is really the application of uh, robotic systems to, to automation processes, um, in, usually in a factory environment. So um, you made a comment about packing dishwashers. Uh, you know, how far do you think we are away from, from actually having robots in our home kind of helping us with day-to-day chores? I mean, I guess the first taste of it is, uh, what's it, I think it's a Roomba or whatever the, the, the self-vacuum cleaner is. Do you think we're very far away from actually having a, a robot in our home helping us out with day-to-day? That is a great question. and something that our, our lab is working on now. Um, the, the robots that would help you in your home are, are in a class called collaborative robots or cobots that would uh, potentially operate uh, in and around people. <clears throat> so, the, the, yes, indeed, the iRobot uh, Roomba vacuum is, is one great example of a, an initial uh, system for, for service applications in your home. It helps you uh, keep your floors clean. However, that, that's actually a pretty straightforward task. Uh, the floor is a well-defined surface, and it doesn't require any uh, extremely sophisticated processing to, to understand uh, where to sweep or, or how to sweep your floor or vacuum your floor. The, I would love to say that we're, we're just around the corner from uh, having robots that will help you load your dishwasher or take your uh, laundry to the, to the washing machine for you and put it in. Um, that's a that's a much harder problem, um, and I think we're still we're still probably I, I hesitate to make an exact uh, prediction in terms of years, but I would say ten ten years away from that type of, of generalized um, robotic assistance in the home, just because the problems are are so challenging. It's, it's so much more difficult to do things that involve manipulating objects in the world, recognizing 
where they go and how they should be placed, and then actually carrying out uh, activities that humans really just take for granted that are that are so straightforward for us. It's we're still a long way from having robotic systems that can achieve that type of task entirely by themselves. And when you say about 10 years, do you mean 10 years from when we start to see the first ones or 10 years from mainstream adoption? I would say now we're, we're probably 10 years from, uh, from mainstream adoption of, of service robots that will operate in the home with, with arms and hands um, of a certain type that can, that can actually assist with some domestic tasks. Um, I don't know if they'll be able to do everything, but I think we'll, uh, we're going to see an incremental rollout. So we won't uh, suddenly have machines that are extremely capable, um, that can do everything uh, in your home uh, just overnight. But uh, much like the, like the Roomba has, has begun to um, become a part of, of our everyday lives as a, as a robotic assistant, um, I think you'll, you'll begin to see um, specialized robotic systems that, for example, can do things like folding laundry. Uh, we may see that type of system first, and then from that point on, it will it will be a slow and steady, I think, uh, uh, pace where we'll we'll end up with machines that are able to uh, do chores for us. But it's going to take some time. Right, and I guess along those lines, um, maybe besides our automobile, because you know, maybe in 10 years from now we will have self-driving cars uh, on the streets. Besides our automobile, would that end up being probably the most sophisticated piece of equipment that we own? Yeah, absolutely. I think that's actually a very, uh, very reasonable thing to say. Um, to achieve that kind of level of uh, intelligence and ability to, to interact in human environments uh, is, is really extraordinarily difficult and so the machines that do it are likely to be very very sophisticated even more sophisticated than uh, the self-driving automobiles um, self-driving cars have a lot of things to deal with on the road but uh, the road is actually a, uh, a less dynamic and uh, potentially more predictable environment than your home um, obviously there are safety concerns on the road that that may be less prevalent in your home but in terms of the number of different things that can happen, uh, your home is actually much less predictable. Interesting. So let's talk. Let's um, before we actually move into the, onto the industrial side because I want to talk about that. Um, let's just stay more so with the, the personal side. Um, what's your view on uh, surgical robots? Do you think that that will eventually become uh, predominant in uh, in our healthcare system and? How far away do you think we are from that? And I guess what most people would be looking forward to is kind of a decrease in having to wait a year for a specific procedure and actually being able to fast-track that process. Right. Great, great question. So I should preface this by saying I am not a surgical robotics expert, um, but I do have colleagues that work in the area. And uh, it, it, it's much along the lines of what I had said before about robots in your home, uh, but perhaps with an even um, more... Uh, perhaps with a faster uh, and, and yet more incremental rollout. Um, so I think we're, we'll, we'll definitely see uh, surgical robotics becoming uh, extremely prevalent. In fact, the norm, I think, for, for any surgery that can be done uh, with a robotic uh, system, I think you're going to see that happen, uh, certainly in the near term, whether that you know, 10, 10 years, within the next 10 years. Uh, and that's simply because uh, robotic systems can can do things 
potentially more accurately and more quickly than, than a human surgeon would with their hands. Um, now, that said, we, whether we'll see uh, fully, a, a fully autonomous um, uh, surgical procedures that are carried out entirely by intelligent robots that have no human intervention uh, is another issue. I don't think we'll see that, uh, particularly because there is uh, obviously there's a tremendous uh, concern about, about safety and, and uh, sure. the, uh, the well-being of the patient. But what we will see is, I think, the, the increasing uh, level of technology in surgical rooms um, where instead of, uh, instead of having a surgeon that's going to cut into you manually, they're, they're going to use a robot to do it. And perhaps uh, two-thirds of the surgery will be automated in some manner. Suturing, perhaps, or cauterizing could be automated. Uh, and uh, the robot can, uh, at, a, at a lower level, react intelligently to things that are happening in the body more quickly than the surgeon could. And so the surgeon may play a role um, as uh, someone who oversees the process, for example, or, or guides uh, the high-level um, uh, positioning of the surgical tools, and, and the robot is allowed to do the lower-level lower positioning. And uh, as a result, you get, uh, you get A, uh, increased accuracy, B, things like decreased bleeding, and C, you get increased throughput. So you're able, a surgeon may be able then to do seven or eight surgeries in a day, whereas perhaps before they were able to do two or three. So uh, I think that's that's how we'll see this uh, continue to creep into the into the world of, of medicine. Uh, certainly, there are companies uh, like uh, um, Intuitive Surgical, uh, the Da Vinci robot, for example, that is yeah. uh, already able to do to do some of these things. And the surgeon no longer, in that case, the surgeon doesn't stand over the patient. They instead sit at a console uh, and and manipulate. Um, manipulate controls that then move robotic arms. So, you, you, in fact, the surgeon is no longer actively interfacing with the patient. Instead, it's the robot. And I think we'll just see that that trend continue, become more sophisticated, and then eventually we will have automated surgeries. But I think that's also quite, quite a ways away. It's a super interesting time to observe all the emerging technologies and how it's going to change uh, our world. Like, I mean, I, just, I feel like in the next 10 years, there's going to be so many uh, different advancements that are in the works at the moment that perhaps, you know, I mean, I have two 10-year-old daughters, so perhaps uh, by the time they are, you know, in their 20s, their their life is going to be totally different than uh, than ours. Let's, let's go back up to kind of the 30,000-foot level again, and can you kind of just explain for everyone, you know, how are machine learning, robotics, and AI kind of intertwined? And maybe the best way to explain it would be to give a couple of examples. Certainly, yeah. So uh, I think that um, they're, they're definitely closely intertwined. Um, <clears throat> uh, AI and artificial intelligence can, can exist uh, in uh, – Separate from robotics, for example, so uh, they're they're in some sense often applied together. Artificial intelligence is simply um, the application of what you would call intelligent algorithms or intelligent uh, processing to whatever application is at hand. So it might be, in the case of AI, something like uh, financial market prediction um, or uh, trading. That's that's one good example, which doesn't involve robotics at all, and that's one application of of artificial intelligence, and uh, then machine learning is simply well, not simply. It's, it's a very, it's a very broad and complicated area. But machine learning is is a uh, it's one 
particular way of building intelligence into either software systems or machines uh, by having them learn from experience in order to carry out their task, whatever that task may be, uh, in a better in a better way. So if it's trading, perhaps they can learn from past uh, trading data, historical market data, in order to determine what the the next best trade should likely be. Um, also, artificial intelligence systems are often applied in medicine uh, for things like um, uh, interpretation of images of uh, fMRI scans, uh, imagery from fMRIs in terms of uh, diagnostic testing. That's another example. Um, so those are uh, those are in, in some sense their own domain, and then you have robotics, which can which can also be um, largely divorced from artificial intelligence in the sense that you can have a factory robot that does welding, for example, and just simply follows the same path, uh, assumes that the part that it's going to weld will always be in the same location at the same time, and really just carries out a, a pre-planned series of actions without any, without any level of intelligence or adaptability. Uh, and that's the way most factory robots operate today. So they are separate, but then... Uh, what we're seeing now is, is a convergence uh, to what I would call embodied intelligence in, in machines. This, this term has been used before, but um, it's robots that then have software on board that is or software and, and uh, related hardware that is able to be intelligent in some way, which that means, uh, well, that means essentially adaptive in some manner. So we're seeing those two things come together, and that's because the world is, is generally not like a factory. It's very uncertain, uh, and there are lots of unknown dynamic things that can happen at all times. And so the, the factory automaton is not going to work for many tasks in the real world that, that we live in. And um, we do need some intelligence built in. We need some adaptability. And so AI and then machine learning are, are being applied to build intelligent robotic systems. You probably saw this study. I saw it a little while ago from McKinsey that said that we're uh, going to lose up to about 800 million global workers uh, because of uh, or replaced by robotic automation probably by around 2030. I guess, first of all, do you think that that's a realistic number? Uh, and second of all, uh, do you, which industries do you, do you think are going to be the most affected and why? Yeah, great question. And this is something that we have to, we, we definitely have to look at at a broad level. Uh, it's some, it's, it's a, it's a very important point that's been raised, uh, by, by a number of groups. Um, and it is the, the crux of the, the question of what we do when, uh, robotic systems and technologies displace people from jobs. And I think one thing we have to do is start looking at the policy and uh, ethical and legal perspective uh, now uh, of what's going to happen. So we, we have a bit of a lead time, and I think uh, now now is certainly the time to, to begin thinking about these issues, uh, certainly from a governance perspective as well. I think that, that number is pretty realistic. Uh, the industries that will be affected first are the ones that we're even – we're seeing that are starting to be affected now. So it's uh, it's, it's any task – that a worker, a human worker, may carry out that is amenable to automation. And so, well, what are those tasks? Well, <laughs> it's any any task that is repetitive in nature, and that can that is um, 
I say relatively straightforward, but uh, that that is able to be broken down into subcomponents and then and then solved I think incrementally. So things like uh, assembly work uh, on assembly lines. Some of some of the assembly lines today still operate with human workers that do fine insertion tasks or, or positioning of, of certain components on, on circuit boards. Uh, that requires a level of intelligence, but it doesn't require a very um, intricate knowledge of, for example, common sense reasoning. And so that is a task that's amenable to automation. Uh, we're seeing things such as Amazon's uh, Amazon's warehousing, uh, for example, is already largely automated. The, the shelving units that contain items to be uh, shipped to consumers are are already brought to from the middle of the warehouse where the items are stored to the edges of the warehouse where humans can then pack items in boxes and ship them out uh, to you, the customer. Um, that process uh, involves known known objects, known uh, consumer goods that can be that can be scanned, that can be recognized. Uh, and once a machine understands how to pick them up and put them in a box, then you're going to see you're going to see that that picking and placing task that a human worker would perform um, absorbed by robotic systems. And so, I think we'll have to uh, certainly look at what that means for jobs on the whole. And I think what will happen is that we we're going to see a shift in the job market to from these jobs that are. Uh, somewhat monotonous, in fact, right? Uh, that, that can be can be automated. Somewhat monotonous. We're going to see a shift from those jobs to to more jobs in in the service sector. We're going to see a shift to to jobs that require interactions with with people, more interactions, right? So um, things that it's very it's difficult for a machine to do. Um, understand your emotional uh, state. Understand your um, your your level of anxiety or frustration or or happiness satisfaction something where we need uh, you need to rely on that that human common sense reasoning that human experience that we still are not able to put into machines and so I think uh, the jobs will potentially shift in that direction much more to a uh, maybe a service focused economy and uh, and that's probably where we have to start looking for for ways in which we can change our our overall job training strategies to make sure that, that individuals do have meaningful, gainful employment um, in the face of, of a large change in what's happening in the automation sector. Let's, let's talk about uh, really quickly before we close off with a couple of your predictions. Uh, Canada, how are we doing from an advancement perspective in robotics research and, and, and development? Because I've actually talked to a lot of um, individuals in the technology space, uh, a lot of them from outside of Canada, and they've made a comment uh, a number of times that specifically U of T has made major advancements in the areas of uh, computer science, and I think that that's kind of, I, I would use that term broadly. Um, and we always used to hear about the University of Waterloo, but we're starting to hear more and more about U of T. Can you comment on what's happening uh, from a Canadian perspective, how well we're doing from a, a global uh, perspective, and also uh, why U of T has become so uh, so visible in the in the global arena? Absolutely. So I think we're as as a country, Canada is doing quite well. Um, there uh, there are still ways in which we could I think do a better job of innovating, but uh, overall, we, we we have done quite well, and one of the things we've we've done quite well is uh, 
to innovate in the AI space, not necessarily directly related to robotics, but um, Canada has has really established itself as a as a leader in um, in AI, and that has recently led to a number of uh, large multinational corporations opening research labs in Toronto and Montreal, uh, a couple in Vancouver, um, to, to take advantage of that uh, that expertise and that uh, the knowledge we have here, which is fantastic. Um, that said, uh, there's there's always competition from from outside, and we'll I think we'll we'll continue to see that the U.S. is obviously very competitive, and uh, a number of other emerging economies. China is still wrapping up. Um, Things are getting more and more exciting in terms of what's coming out of uh, various different places around the globe. Um, but I think we're doing we're doing well now, and I think we're also we're, we're doing quite well in the area of robotics, where we've been able to take uh, some of the AI expertise and also translate it into robotics expertise. Um, U of T, in particular, has has been uh, very fortunate in that we've had a uh, an excellent um, an excellent group of researchers for many years in both AI and robotics. And most recently, um, as a result of a, uh, a research program that was started many years ago, we've, uh, we've been on the, the cusp of the uh, revolution in what's called uh, deep learning, which is a machine learning technique uh, that involves a specific, a specific type of, of machine learning. Um, and a number, it just it, it happens that a number of the, the critical people who played a pivotal role in this uh, revolution, which is now taking place in the space of AI and also being translated into the robotic space, uh, they happen to be from U of T, um, also U of T or and or uh, uh, Montreal actually as well. So uh, we've we've benefited from that certainly dramatically, and uh, and that's been able I think to to cement our position. Uh, internationally as really a, a leader uh, in this space. And I hope we can continue to, to lead in that way. Great. Well, before we close off, um, Jonathan, maybe you can kind of give everybody your top two or three uh, predictions in terms of where you see the most disruption and innovation in technology over the next uh, five or ten years. Oh, that's yeah, great question. So <laughs> it's always uh, you always hesitate to make predictions because then you find out later that you were you may have been uh, wrong about where the where the world was heading. But uh, certainly, if I had to predict, I think I would say that um, there's a few things. Maybe the, the first one is that, of course, uh, the use of robotics in manufacturing and uh, and related logistics roles is going to continue to boom. Uh, I think we're going to see. Really increased increased penetration of robotics in those in those markets for those kinds of jobs. Uh, dramatic increases, I think, in the next uh, five to ten years. That's one. Um, the next is is the writing I think is on the wall with respect to to self driving cars to autonomous vehicles. That will be potentially the next major revolution, and we're in, in many ways we're getting much closer to that being a reality. Uh, and that will certainly be transformative. Uh, when when we truly have self-driving cars that are on our roads that uh, do the driving themselves, then it's going to change our uh, our understanding of of transportation um, as a as a service, or uh, it, 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 it's certainly going to upend what we what we think of now as the way the way transport operates. Large road, large road networks with with individuals driving their own vehicles, 
one person per car, this this will certainly be transformed dramatically. And I, I would say certainly that I would predict that in the next 10 years, we will have uh, certainly the technology for self-driving vehicles and also then uh, a need to immediately deal with the the regulatory issues and the legal issues and the ethical issues that come with uh, the transformation of a, a mode of transport that has been um, largely unchanged for perhaps the past 100 years in our society. Um, right. So that's going to be, I think, dramatic. And then we, we also, I think, will see that the final thing I would predict, and in part I may be slightly biased because this is one of the areas that my lab works in, is, again, a transition towards what are called collaborative robots or cobots, collaborative machines that work work with and alongside people and have a level of intelligence built in in order to safely interact. Um, and that, in some sense, is what a self-driving car already does, just without uh, manipulator arms, for example. So I think what we'll see is that a lot of the technology that's being developed for self-driving vehicles in terms of the sensing and the, the uh, reactive intelligence that's needed to, to safely navigate through a city can can largely be generalized and transferred over to robots that interact in a more intimate way, perhaps, with you um, in a home environment or in a retail environment, in a retail setting. And so I think probably in the next 10 years, we, we will see fairly substantial uh, jumps in, in the way we interact with uh, intelligent service robots um, in, in our domestic or, or uh, professional lives. So really, we're, I think we'll see uh, robots actually becoming uh, partners in our, in our daily work, um, and that's something that hasn't happened yet. Uh, but I think will certainly happen within the next 10 years. Thank you very much for your time today, Jonathan. That was a fantastic session. My pleasure. It was great to speak with you. You have been listening to the Innovators Behind Disruption, a podcast series brought to you by Evolve ETFs. Remain educated. Be informed. Sign up for our newsletter and learn more at evolveetfs.com. 